0: As tall as all these other people, so I'm just going to have to retreat that a little bit so you can see over the top. Uh, one of the real pleasures for me is seeing so many be a part, so many people be a part of things each week at Hope City. I think participation is a superpower, uh, a joy, and a treasure. So thank you to everyone who's playing a role this morning, whether you're visible at the front or you're invisible and behind the scenes. Each piece really important. Uh, My name's Matt, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City, it's my privilege to speak to you um, this morning. And um, just to give you a bit of context before we dive in, what we're doing is we're tracing one of the early leaders in the Christian church in the very first few years of the church's existence on a huge voyage that he's taking, and he's just been sent by God to an area called Macedonia, which is uh, modern-day Greece, and he's arrived at a city called Philippi. And Philippi is one of the major cities in this area. It's like a significant city at this um, time. And, and he's made a plan for how he's going to go about his mission, for how he's going to accomplish it. And his plan is he goes each, um, uh, each Sabbath to the, day, uh, to the place of prayer outside the city. He meets the people who are there to pray, and he speaks to them, uh, speaks to these people who are seeking God uh, about Jesus. And this plan, this plan is working. Uh, It's working really well. Uh, Last week, Pat helped us explore God opening Lydia's heart to respond to the message uh, about Jesus that Paul was giving. And we saw kind of the outworkings of that. So they're keeping at it. And that's where we pick up the story. But before we read together, I want to remind you of last week's horse story. Were Were you here last week? Do you remember hearing about a horse? I was thinking about showing you that again. Um, But it's a story um, told by apparently some old farmer whose horse runs away, and the whole village says, oh, that's terrible news. And he says, well, maybe. And then the horse comes back, and it's brought three wild horses. And they say, that's great news. And he says, well, maybe. And then his son falls off the horse, trying to train one of these wild horses, and breaks his leg. And the villagers say, well, that's bad news. And he says, maybe. And then the conscriptors come to bring people into the army. And the son is left behind because his leg is broken. And the villagers say, well, that's great news. And he says, maybe. Well, keep that story in mind because today's passage invites us to think about what happens when life goes wrong. To think about how it is we should respond when life goes completely wrong. And this morning, Noah has an epic for us, so enjoy the story with me.
1: Morning, everyone. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16 to 40. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a f- female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. By fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs and unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The The crowds joined the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into a prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to the gods, and the other prisoners were listening to to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought... Them out and asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" They replied, "Believe in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in this house. At the hour, at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately they, he and his household, were baptized. The jailer had brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men, the jailer told Paul. But the magistrates have ordered you and Silas to be released. Now you can leave, leave. go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Now, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now do they want to come to get rid of us? Quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison. Paul and Silas came out of the prison. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left.
0: Brilliant job, Noah. Uh, An epic reading, uh, an epic story too, right? Isn't that a fantastic story? Well, there is so much here um, that we're going to have to move quite quickly. Um, so, let's walk back through what we heard together. Um, let's think about what's going on. Let's see what it is we can learn. Now, first, there's this, the poor slave girl that we ran into at the beginning of that story with a spirit um, that can tell the future. and we're not just talking about somebody acting there. So this is not just somebody kind of making up fortunes, fortune cookie style, or you know, using a fake crystal ball and a cloak as some mystical props. Obviously, she can do well enough to make some serious money, uh, money that's taken by her owners, but, but there's something there that makes her compelling, that gives her things to speak that are significant. And I guess at this point, we should say, Christians do believe in a supernatural realm. Now we do believe there are powers that... The sort of spirit we're reading about here is a real thing in our world, and lots of people around us believe similar things too. You would be um, surprised perhaps by how many people think it's pretty normal to have some good concept of a a spirit world of other powers. But if supernatural powers worry you, uh, it's really important to remember these powers are limited. Uh, It's not like if there was to be an arm wrestling match between God and one of these spirits, it could go either way, and everyone would watch nervously and would be like, ah, who's going to come out on top? It's not like that. The, the, The Bible teaches us the absolute and effortless supremacy of God in the supernatural realm. We see it again and again. Think about the story of Jesus in the gospel. Many encounters with evil spirits. For him, just a word, and they must leave immediately. It's not a contest. It's not a battle. It's not close. Now, we're going to try something new this week, um, because that's just the sort of church we are. Um, we like to try something new. We, we don't think we've figured out the best way to do everything by any means, and uh, probably this isn't going to be the best way either, but we're going to try something new. We used to publish what we called a T5, um, talking through the text in 10, talking through the text in 10 five T's, See, makes great sense, Uh, a detailed walkthrough of some behind-the-scenes research the Bible teacher had done in preparation for Sunday, things that wouldn't make it into the talk normally um, in in, in 10 minutes in theory, except when I was engaged with it. Um, We're going to try and change that instead to have something like a trailer come out on social media a few days before Sunday, something to encourage all of us to read the passage. Think about what it has to say to us to give us a chance to invite people for whom the message might be relevant. And then on Sunday, we're going to publish what we're going to call footnotes. At least we're going to call them that this week. We'll change our mind next week. But this week, we're going to call them footnotes. And that's kind of like the things you'd find in footnotes in a book if you've ever seen them. These little numbers, and they point down to the bottom of the page, and they've got this opportunity to learn more details that aren't essential for the main message and this week I'm going to publish some footnotes and one of those footnotes if you want to think more is about future telling spirits I got another one about household baptisms I got another one about the way Paul behaves with his Roman citizenship so later on if you want to dig into some of those things if you have that interest that's there for you it'll be on our social media channels but this this slave girl um or the spirit in her Uh, has got something to say about Paul and the mission team. And that's where I want to bring our focus back to now. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's her or the spirit in her properly. But wait, these men are servants of the Most High God. And they, they really are telling people the way to be saved. Doesn't it feel a bit odd to have a spirit telling the truth though, There are actually a number of encounters in the Bible where you see spirits appearing to tell the truth, like the one acknowledging who Jesus is. Perhaps you'll remember from the Gospels, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, the Spirit says in front of a crowd. So there's some precedent for this kind of giving what appears to be true information, and we can wonder about what the motive is in giving that true information. But the shouting goes on for days and days, and the team, the mission team, seem to be all right with it in principle. If it was a huge problem, they would have had to deal with it immediately. But they've tolerated it. They put up with it. Is it good news for them? Is it like kind of a, a public information broadcast backing up their authenticity? Well, think back to the story about the horses. Maybe. But then just one moment turns everything upside down, and like it so often does in In our stories, in our path through life, often you seem to have these moments where just a few words or just a a single act, just a few heartbeats in the course of your life is changed, and that is what we get here. Paul's had enough of these announcements. He commands the spirit to leave. Like we talked about the supremacy, the spirit has to leave immediately, Um, and then um, that was their experience in the city of Philippi, taking a dramatic turn for the worse. Remember they've been on this fairly successful mission, they go to the place of prayer, people are happy to hear their message, people are responding to their message, they're going back and back to the place of prayer. All of a sudden, all of a sudden everything changes and I expect many of us have been there. walk through that moment where uh, an act, a choice, a word suddenly changes your course much more dramatically perhaps than you expected, right? Maybe you thought this isn't going to change everything, this is just a small thing and boom, suddenly you're on a different track things were going well. And then everything starts coming unraveled. There's this riot we read about. There are accusations. They're not honest accusations, but they're accusations nonetheless. Um, There's a a painful beating. There's imprisonment. And then the, the sun sets. Well, that's too bad. Maybe. What happens next? About midnight. At the end of that rotten day, what do we find? Well, about midnight, Paul and Silas are praying, singing hymns to God, and other prisoners are listening to them. Praying, singing hymns after all of this. Seriously, can, can you put yourself in their place for a moment? I imagine what you'd be up to at midnight at the end of a day like that. It started perfectly well. You were engaged in God's mission. Boom, one thing goes wrong. Beaten, imprisoned, Bleeding. Aching, chained. What what do you think you would be doing there in prison? Let me tell you what happens for me, right? I stub my toe. I have like a little bit of a blocked up nose. Uh, Any minor inconvenience turns me into a total grump. I'm moaning, why me, Lord? Right? Song, prayer, like the last thing on my mind. I do not want to sing. I want to grumble. I want to grit my teeth. I want to say to God, talk to the hand guys for real? I mean, they, they feel a bit like Superman here, don't they? Or literary fiction. But you know what I think they're doing? As I've been reflecting on this passage, what I think they're doing is they are hanging on to God with everything they've got while well, everything seems to go wrong. They're hanging on to God because that's, that's all they've got in their moment. They know they're in a desperate situation, but they also know they're on God's mission. So they're, they're hanging on to hope. They're hanging on to God. And, and then there's this earthquake, and we're meant to see that as supernatural because the way the effects are described, right? Um, the doors fly open and everyone's chains come loose. You know, I've been in an earthquake for real. And do you know what it's like for real? It's absolutely terrifying. And you think the roof is going to fall on you and you're going to die. The walls crack, things fall over. It's absolutely, this, this earthquake, big earthquake, pop, all the chains come off and ee- all the doors swing open. It's, it's totally supernatural. And the jailer knows he's in trouble. He was told to guard them carefully. He could lose his life for losing his prisoners. What happened to some of the soldiers guarding people um, earlier in the story of Acts? Surely they're gone. Back to our horses, right? There's been an earthquake. That's too bad. Well, maybe. But Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Although the earthquakes opened the door, somehow none of the prisoners made a run for it so the earthquake, as it happens, opens other doors as well. Uh, Sometimes a a supernatural event begins or advances someone's journey to faith. Actually, quite often, it seems, if you're on our Facebook group, perhaps you will have seen the survey I've been running there over the last few days. I've been asking people to tell me a little bit about their own journey to faith and things that were significant on it. If you haven't, um, do take a look and tell me about your story. When I just Checked um, a couple of days ago now, actually probably only 24 hours ago, one in six people said, one in six people, a supernatural experience was a significant part of their faith journey. That is way more than I would have imagined. One in 10 people said it was the most significant factor in them becoming a Christian. The witness to your own family, next down, a supernatural experience. That's surprising, isn't it? But I think that is exactly what we see here, this supernatural experience, exactly what it does for the jailer. After the quake, uh, because of the quake, see, I think we can reasonably assume this jailer was not particularly interested in matters of faith. He was not with the women outside the city in the morning at the place of prayer investigating how it was that he could learn more about things. Uh, He was not interested in anything Paul had to say. Paul and Silas are singing songs and praying prayers. The other prisoners are listening. The jailer is not listening. He is not interested. Well, but because of the quake, he asked the question most of us would like to hear. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their answer is really simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. How's that for a compact presentation of what you need to believe? But then they do explain a bit more. See, in verse 32, if you look down there, they spoke the word or they spoke the message of the Lord to them. But it's definitely a crash course because that same night, do you see in verse 33? At that hour of the night, they're baptized. And baptism, just hours after first knowing or caring at all about God about Jesus. Nearly immediate. That's from from zero to wet in one night. And this and passages like it are why it's our practice as a church to move very quickly to baptism, not to have long courses you work through or make you wait and wait or have lots of boxes you need to tick. So we say this pretty regularly, but let me say it again. If you are a follower of Jesus and if you haven't been baptized, don't delay. Uh, In the Bible, almost every instance follows hot on the heels of first believing it's not something to put off or defer. So if baptism's the right next step for you, uh, we'll get the pool back out. Uh, next week we'll get you, we'll get you baptized. Just come and talk to me or any of the other leaders here. Zoom out though from this particular section. Think about the whole of their time in Philippi. Do you know what we'd notice? We'd notice there are lots and lots of parallels between the stories we've heard in Philippi. Last week we saw Lydia, a worshiper of God. Do you know what happened to her? Well, there's the message about the Lord Jesus, there's the Lord opening her heart to believe. Sometimes it takes an earthquake, sometimes it's just a quiet touch. There's this near immediate baptism, and then there's the coming into a new believer's home, this welcoming, this uh, acceptance. Pat was talking to us last week about this embrace and being fully embraced. You're in the family. There's no kind of holding zone or second tier. You're in the family. All these parallels make us want to look at the story of Lydia and the story of the jailer together. And when we do that, what that does is that makes the differences stand out. All these similarities, what are the differences? Well, we've got a woman and a man. That's no accident, this gospel for Jesus. Um, The gospel about Jesus is for everyone. We've Got a native of Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, and uh, most likely a Roman from the West because most jailers were retired soldiers. No accident, this gospel about Jesus is for everyone. But perhaps the biggest difference here that stands out is that Lydia was a worshiper of God. That's how she's described. She was a worshiper of God. She was already at the place of prayer. She already wanted to know. She already wanted to explore. Maybe she's like the equivalent of somebody with a church background or somebody interested in the gospel already. Lydia looks like a seeker. The jailer, absolutely not. The jailer was sought. The gospel about Jesus is for everyone. That's cool. Now, there's even more I could say about this passage, as you'll see from the footnotes but what do i think is the main message that we've been um from the passage that we've been looking at together well as i've been reflecting on this over the past couple of weeks um i think the main message here for us the big thing for us to learn is what to do when life goes wrong what to do when um it feels like the train has left the tracks And everything is unraveling into a disaster. And I think this passage has got some really practical help. Now, maybe you're not there right now. Well, praise the Lord for that. Um, But store this up in your mind. Maybe you know somebody's there and you can encourage them. Maybe you are there right now. Well, I pray this will be helpful to you. See, I think, first of all, this calls us to hang on to God when life goes wrong. I think it really does call us to hang on to God when life goes wrong. And I think it gives us some understanding of how. And the first thing it shows us is that we should, we should hang on by praying. Now, let me be honest. I do not want to pray when I run into the smallest hiccup in life, right? I am that unspiritual for real. Often when things go wrong, I just don't want to pray. I think, why bother? I'm not going to change anything. I feel like, well, God already knows. I feel like I believe God's already completely in control of this situation. And this is exactly what he wanted to happen. This has to be from him. This has to be his plan. Why bother praying about it? But although prayer doesn't always change the situation, it always changes us. It calls us to get our perspective back, to remember God in the middle of the mess, to acknowledge He is there with us in it rather than being distant from us and outside it. He is involved, He's listening. It's a really practical way of reorienting ourselves. When we become disoriented, when we've dropped our eyes from the horizon, when all we can see is the mud that our feet are stuck in. So one way I think the passage shows us of hanging on to God when life goes wrong is to hang on by praying. It also tells us we can hang on by singing. Now, my wife's a lovely singer, and it is second nature for her, if you know her, to burst into song about anything at any time. Um, You might not be a great singer. You might not even wanna pry your lips open at all or pry your mind open to choose a song to recall, but song is powerful. That's the reason we sing together as a church so much. It's powerful because, well, for lots of reasons. One thing, when we sing, we remember what we know is true. Uh, Moses talks about how good songs are for making us remember things. They lock things in our minds. I mean, can you remember the lyrics from the strangest song you knew when you were growing up or if you're still growing up? Like, how many songs are locked in your minds? It's amazing. They're good for memory, but they're powerful because when we sing, we move our hearts. And we don't just always express what's already in them, right? Part of why we value the arts so highly as a church is because they are affective. That is, they affect us. They make us feel. They change how we feel. If you were to read most of the Psalms in the Bible, that's the songbook of the Bible, they take you through this journey of reorientating yourself. They start from a place of um, despondency and despair, and they draw you towards a place of recognition And hope they make us feel, and that's what our songs do for us too. So if you want to know how to change how you feel, um, songs and the arts are often a powerful tool to accomplish that. So think about ways to hang on to God when life goes wrong. Hang on by praying. Um, Hang on by singing. And hang on by trusting. Now, I have a lot of questions. Whenever I read a passage in the Bible, I think of all these questions. I think of questions like, why didn't God step in sooner? Imagine the mobs there, the riot's and the sticks are out, Paul's about to be whacked, boom, big earthquake. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be better? An earthquake before midnight would have been nice, right? We don't know why God didn't step in sooner here. There's, there's nothing told to us. But I'll tell you something we do know throughout the whole story of the Bible, something it assures us of, something it narrates for us time and time again, something which we couldn't miss If we're listening to what the Bible tells us, it tells us that God is working through the mess. Even when it looks like everything has gone wrong, even when it looks like all is lost, God has not given up or forgotten or taken his hands off the wheel or gone for a nap. Now, it's harder to hang on to that in the middle of things when your world's coming apart. But it's got to say something to us that we've been given just so many stories of where it seems like life has gone wrong terribly wrong but God is working for good in the middle of it through the hurt through the pain Why? that's pretty much every Bible story but most of all look at the cross what could be more life gone wrong the son of God the author of life nailed to a cross and killed The the, the Jesus movement is over the revolution he started is done if you were there on Good Friday, you'd think everything is lost. You'd think the train has come off the tracks. You'd think life has gone totally wrong. So far wrong, it could never be right again. But you'd be so wrong. We don't see very well when we're down in the valley. When when things are difficult, we don't, we don't have good perspective. We don't have a good grasp on what's going on. It's hard. To keep your head in the valley. But the Bible is filled with stories that show us we pass through the valley. And when we walk through the valley, the Lord is with us there and leading us. Amen. So hang on when life goes wrong, right? Hang on by praying. Um, hang on by singing. Hang on by trusting. This is the story. And I want to give you one last thing from this passage. Speak. Uh, even in the valley. Like it's hard to speak in the valley, isn't it? It's really hard to speak in the valley, but often it's in the valley that you will find doors open that will be open nowhere else. Uh, often it's in pain and in hurt that God opens profound doors. Remember Lydia from last week? Well, she was a, a seeker looking for God in the light. This Roman jailer, anything but a seeker, not looking for God at all. He was never gonna run into the message of Jesus at the place of prayer. Yet in that valley for Paul and Silas, In that valley of beating and imprisonment, in the darkness of the night, God opens a door for the jailer to hear and respond to the message as well. And at at difficult moments in life, people are watching you. At difficult moments in life, people are more open to considering the message of Jesus. If we're able to speak in the midst of our own difficult moments, there's a powerful testimony. We don't just believe these things in the light and when it's all working, when it's all okay, we believe these things in the dark too. This is the one true story. People will hear us differently when we say the same things in the dark of night as we do in the light of day. So hang on to God when life goes wrong. Hang on by praying. Hang on by singing. Hang on by trusting. And try to speak. Let's pray together for a moment. pray particularly for those who uh, are in the middle of a moment where it feels like uh, life has gone wrong, uh, where the train's off the track, um, where it has all ended in tears, and there's only darkness, not light. God, I want to pray for them that you'd help them to hang on to you, uh, even if they um, don't want to, and even if their emotions are pushing against it, please help them to hang on. Uh, Please help them to choose to pray, to choose to sing, to remember, to be changed by these truths, to choose to trust, like so many of your stories, that you're working through the darkness into the light. Lord, if that's not our story just now, I want to pray that you would help us as we run into people who are struggling with the darkness of night and with things gone wrong. Uh, Lord, help us to love and encourage and support them well uh, in that difficult moment from um, judging, uh, knowing that we too are frail and weak, and uh, we would uh, similarly struggle. Uh, but Lord, please instead use us as a help, and we pray um, through us, through your people, even as you lead us through the valley, um, that we would be people who speak, and that you would use that speaking to open doors, perhaps doors that couldn't be opened any other way. Lord, we know life goes wrong. Uh, please would you help us when life goes wrong to know that you are faithful. We ask all these things uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, who loves us and gave himself for us. Amen. Well, we're going to respond this week with a song. Uh, it's a beautiful song. I think it's really fitting. Maybe uh, maybe it'd be really hard for you to sing this morning. Uh, maybe you're in the, the dark of night. Maybe you're in the depth of the valley the middle of the storm but i want to encourage you to try would you try and let this song carry you and move you so over to the team